from the world of Sonic the Hedgehog, a new hero arrives. I am ready. Is there anyone stronger? No. Tougher? No. Funnier? I do not make jokes. I make warriors. Knuckles, now streaming only on Paramount Plus. Yes! Sunday night, June 19th, the year of our Lord, 2022. If they ever tell you that nothing's impossible, just tell them to try and predict where we're going this fall. Because we're going to do it tonight. And we have complete control over the process. And I'm telling you, before we ever get to the segment, it's impossible. We are, however, possibly and definitely jam-packed. High atop glorious downtown Nashville, Tennessee. Saw three jackets being worn this morning. You can put those away until September. We're throwing expectations out there tonight. Reasonable expectations for five more major programs. We're also going to talk a little bit about what's going on in the state of Michigan. I would advise those of you, even outside the Spartan and Wolverine parameters, to pay attention. Something really interesting going on up there. Also, bold predictions hit chapter 18 or X8 tonight. And as I just mentioned, we're going to begin the arduous process, and you know how rarely I use that word, of choosing the games, the late kick, yet to be determined tour name is gonna go on this fall. Uh, we're gonna do weeks one through six tonight. I cannot stress enough, I will need your help on this, big time, because I have like a four-way tie for one of these weeks, so I will need your help. They're watching us in Allen, Texas. Bardstown, Kentucky tuned in. Media, Pennsylvania, that's a media we can all get behind, and Rockford, Illinois, Happy Father's Day. To everyone out there, all of our fathers, my father, I myself am not a father, but I really felt like one the other night. Kind of alluded to it on Twitter. For those of you who don't follow there, at Late Kick Josh, I would advise you to, but for those of you who don't, uh, we had kind of a mild to moderate tragedy on the softball field. Producer Jesse and I actually were chasing a fly ball in the gap the other night, and we both got there about the same time. But then producer Jesse's hamstring decided to go kablooey on him. And so the fly ball drops to the ground. Producer Jesse drops to the ground. I look back ready to yell at him for not calling the fly ball. And instead, there he is writhing around on the ground in pain. They're in Smyrna, Tennessee in front of God and everyone. And at that point, that's the first time I ever felt like a father watching my child there on the ground. I picked the ball up because obviously play was still going on. But then we had to tend to producer Jesse. He is listed as doubtful. This Friday, even though the playoffs begin, it's a tough time for producer Jesse. So those of you who actually do believe in his existence, just send a prayer up for him tonight. Uh, no purple on the leg, mind you. It's just that he, um, he is, he is WebMD'd himself with a grade two hamstring pull. So just, just keep him right at the forefront of those thoughts and prayers. Uh, let's dive into some reasonable expectations tonight. I've had a lot of fun doing this because it is not an official prediction, mind you. Uh, we'll do that in August, but it's kind of one of those things where as we're starting to enter preview magazine season and we're starting to have a lot of these fan bases set their own expectation level, we're just kind of here to guide you along. We're kind of here to do what the NCAA hasn't done with NIL. We're gonna give you the guardrails, just keep it between the lines. Let's not go out of whack. Let's not predict 12 and 0 when they over under seven on the win total. What are reasonable expectations for some of these programs? Let's start with the Florida Gators. Why? Because one of you suggested it in the comments section, and I read every one of them. So Florida this year, the over-under win total, depending on where you look, is seven. Last year, they were a six and 17. What is reasonable for Florida Gator fans to expect from this team this year? I said eight and four. 
And I'm going to give you several reasons why here. As they're over under is seven, I'm going to go one above that. I think it's reasonable for you guys down in Ocala, down in Gainesville and the like to expect eight and four. Their biggest concern's not on the surface. Their biggest concern is kind of hidden beneath the surface. It's called a depth chart. And once you look past the ones, as Billy Napier, head coach there now, was talking about all throughout spring, you start to see some areas where, ooh, we, we're really thin here. We're really thin there. They had to alter the way they practiced in spring because they didn't have adequate depth certain places. It's not the first time that's ever happened. Normally, when you have a new coaching staff in town, it's because something along those lines needs to be fixed. But even having said that, if you look at Florida, this is not a poor man's program. This is not a start over from scratch type situation. I mean, they got a quarterback in Anthony Richardson, who, if you believe the comment section, half of our viewers think will contend for a spot in New York City in the Heisman Trophy finalist ceremony. I'm not quite that far down the road on Anthony Richardson hype, but I do understand the hype. It's not like I don't believe in him. But outside of him, you look at their situations on the lines of scrimmage. Uh, you, you look at what held them back last year, and it's fixable. It's fixable really quick. What held Florida back last year is not what holds a lot of programs down. What, what holds a lot of these teams down is they're just not good enough. They're not talented enough. They don't recruit at a high enough level. That's not the problem. Even under Dan Mullen, wasn't the problem in Gainesville. They were terrible in the turnover battle. They only won it in one game last year. They were plus turnovers in one game last year. And I think it was an FCS opponent. And also, they got penalized every other play. They got penalized 104 times. By comparison, their competition got penalized 67 times. It may take a year or two or three years to overturn certain things. That stuff right there can get corrected overnight. If you got the right staff in town, I happen to believe they do have the right staff in town. Billy Napier and his crew were 40 and 12 at Louisiana, somewhere around there. It's in the low 40s and it's in the low teens. And my point is, if you wait and you take the opportunity to give Billy Napier comparable resources to his competition, just like he had in the Sun Belt, I think he, he absolutely has it within himself to deliver on those results. My point is, it's not going to take three years to get there. They're a lot closer maybe than it seems. Their 2022 schedule, if you're listening on podcast, starts with a bang. They got Utah coming in. Now, here's the fortuitous part, and here's kind of what I'll wait for all year with Florida. If you've got depth concerns, they don't always pop up in week one. Because sometimes it actually takes injury to expose some of those depth concerns, whether it's wide out or, or defensive line. But as you get deeper in the season then all of a sudden attrition starts to become a reality. I wonder how deep Florida can get in the season before you do start to suffer some of those things. That's not predictable. No one can know. But they got Utah and Kentucky along with Tennessee in the first month of the season. And those are three of their bigger games. So for me to get to eight and four as a reasonable expectation, I'm sitting there thinking, well, if Florida can go two and one minimum in the first month of the season, then yeah, they got a game against Georgia later in the year. Yeah, they got to go to A&M. We'll let that be what it is. This is year one. We're not calling 11 and one, but eight and four, I think is reasonable for Florida. Again, it's going to be very, very even disproportionately reliant on staying healthy as long as they can. You can say that about every team. I know in these prediction type segments, we always talk about depth and we talk about injury. Yeah, it's a problem everyone wants to avoid. Some teams are more predisposed to being victimized by it than others. So Florida's over under win total is seven in Vegas. I think it's reasonable to say eight and four. Next up, the Texas Longhorns. Let's head out to Austin. Their over under win total at most books right now is nine. Do you think that's lofty, by the way? A lot of you have 
gone back and forth with what you think about my reasonable expectation, I'll give you my reasonable expectation for Texas in a second. I want to know the Vegas number. How many of you look at that and say, ooh, that's easy money one way or the other? Because right now they're, they're heavily juiced, well, heavily. They are juiced a little bit more heavy towards the under right now. But it's at nine. The over-under is nine. They didn't make a bowl game last year. So there is a quantum leap in win-loss production expected here just according to that over-under. I think it's a reasonable number, though. So my reasonable expectation, my record that I think it's okay for you to expect if you're a Texas Longhorn fan is nine and three. It's not going to be easy to get there. But let's chart the path, shall we? What was a problem last year? What, what kept them down? Why didn't Texas make a bowl game last year? Well, first and foremost, uh, they had too much indecision at the quarterback position. That started in fall camp. It never really subsided. I don't think that's where it ended, though. That's just where it began. They could not get to the quarterback. Their leader, I think, in total sacks was Ben Davis, the Alabama transfer, who had two and a half. So they were woefully inept at affecting the quarterback. Uh, they could not force turnovers. I think they were in the 100s nationally in that department. So they couldn't force turnovers. Uh, they couldn't affect the quarterback. They had inconsistency offensively. They were a very bad second half team. They finished on a terrible losing streak. So if I'm to believe that there's this quantum leap in improvement that's going to happen and we're going to go from a five-win team to a nine-win team, a lot of that has to be rectified. Now, as we look on screen, if you're watching on YouTube, at the additions that they've had via the transfer portal, one of them, the second name there, Isaiah Nayer, we're going to talk about a little bit later on in the show. I, um, I just go back and ask myself, okay, what tangible evidence do I have that some of those problems from last year are going to be rectified? And I think that there are incremental reasons why I could believe that some of those things are going to be rectified, but there is no bright blinking red light that says, all right, all of it's fixed just because they haven't played a football game in five or six months. All of it's magically going to be fixed. There's nothing magical about the offseason unless you make it count. Otherwise, you just hit the pause on a bad team. So they've made some changes. Obviously, you bring a recruiting class in. That's one thing that changes. You bring a portal class in. That's another thing that changes. You get another year into your tenure. And if you're a new staff, yes, that matters too. But if you were to tell me it's still questionable as to whether they'll be consistent this year, I would buy that. You know why? Because offensive line is one of, if not the biggest questions on this team. And likewise, I don't know that their pass rush is going to magically be fixed overnight. And if you have those problems, if you struggle on the offensive line, Therefore, if your quarterback, who himself is going to be a newcomer this year, and Quinn Ewers is constantly under duress, and you can't affect the other team's quarterback, that leads to, as you well know, wild fluctuation game to game. Therefore, lack of consistency game to game, which puts a lot of games that you don't think you should be threatened in, in the crosshairs. Like that game at Texas Tech in week four. None of you guys think you should lose that. But if you got those problems I just talked about, yeah, it's all up in the air. So I look at their schedule here. There are three tiers of games. And if I'm going to get to nine and three, here's really what I need. I need to go four and oh against Louisiana Monroe, uh, UTSA, Kansas, and Texas Tech. No question, need to sweep those. I probably need to go four and one against West Virginia, TCU, Iowa State, Baylor, and Kansas State. And I know that grouping there, if you're a Georgia fan, doesn't sound all that daunting. We're talking about Texas right now, and we're talking about going 4-1, and one, again, against West Virginia, TCU, Iowa State, Baylor, Kansas State. It's just not a clip they've been winning at. 
Oh, and by the way, there's this other tier with teams like Bama. Yeah, they play them this year. Oklahoma, Oklahoma State. They need to go one and two minimum against those teams. That's to get to nine and three. We're not talking playoff here with Texas. That's to get to nine and three. But what have you invested out there? What have they asked for as a fan base that you haven't given? I would argue you've given everything you should. And that's the rule on this show. If you give what they ask of you, it's reasonable to have some lofty expectations. So nine and three, I'm not mad at it if that's what you're expecting from Texas. Let's go to Nebraska. I almost said let's stay in the Big 12. Not anymore. We've talked about Nebraska a fair amount over the past month. They were three and nine last year, famously. And yet the over-under win total for the old Huskers this year is seven and five. Well, it's 7.5. Therefore, I thought it necessary to make a reasonable expectation seven and five. That's a big turnaround. I, I had stats and info run the numbers. And if you went three and nine last year and you win seven games this year, that's over a 100% increase in win total. How are they going to get there? Well, number one, pretty workable schedule, but it was workable last year and they won three games. So something has to change here. Over under win total sitting at seven and a half. Scott Frost, 15 and 29 as head coach in Nebraska so far. That's bad. Yeah, nothing to write home about. Here's really where you just stick the dagger in the ribs and start to twist it. 20 of the 29 losses in Scott Frost's tenure at Nebraska have come by one possession score. <laughs> 20 of 29 losses by eight points or less. I don't know where that line in the sand is, where you go from thinking it's just a statistical anomaly to this dude doesn't know how to win close games but I would not argue with you if you said the line's in the rearview mirror. Wherever it is, we passed it. Maybe it's 10 games or 15 games, but dude, 20 of 29 of those losses by eight points or fewer. Well, history has shown us that given time, coaches have turned the corner before. So four wins, five wins, three wins, COVID year, three wins. All of a sudden, if it goes seven and five this year, it wouldn't be the first time. It wouldn't be the most shocking thing in the world. How are they going to have it happen, though? Well, at least they didn't stand pat. That's one thing we can say about Nebraska. They realized what we got is not good enough. Therefore, we got to get something different. And next to USC, they've been the most active team in the transfer portal. Now, all that means is they got a bunch of new pieces. How do they fit or do they fit together, period? Well, that's what God made the regular season for. To get to 7-5, and five, they need to be 3-0 and oh when they face Oklahoma. And to tell you how easy that should be, and boy, that should is in all caps for Nebraska, they've got to beat Northwestern, and that's over in Ireland. They're going to be favored by double digits in that game. They will be favored by double digits against North Dakota. They will be favored by double digits against Georgia Southern. And that's it, guys. Those are the three games that you need to win in order to make the week four date against Oklahoma a... Well, a showdown in Lincoln. I keep getting confused because I think they play a week zero game. So it's technically week three, but we need them to be three and oh there. From that point, then all of a sudden it just becomes, well, how high can you climb? Because even if Oklahoma comes in there and you give a good spirited effort and you lose, again, as you're watching on YouTube and can clearly see, you got Indiana, Rutgers, Purdue, Illinois. You get to November, and I want to pause at November. These are all winnable. They're all losable. They're also winnable. I want to know how much wiggle room they're going to give themselves by the time they get to November. But see, Nebraska fancies themselves, as should everyone up there, a Big Ten West contender. And I agree with that. 
November is not easy. They play Minnesota at home, then they go to Michigan. They got Wisconsin at home, then they go to Iowa. Probably, I would imagine, the toughest close to the season that any team in the Big Ten West has. Um, that's just off the top of my head. Seven and five. Seven and five. I think they can do it. There's a wide discrepancy in opinion on Nebraska this year. I think seven and five is doable. I think it's reasonable. Let me say it that way. I think it's reasonable to expect seven and five there. Let's go to LSU next. We have not been to Baton Rouge in a couple of shows. So LSU, new head coach, Brian Kelly. What is reasonable to expect in terms of wins and losses? Well, their over-under is seven wins right now. And I'm going to be at that number. I think it's reasonable to expect seven and five. Now, this is an SEC West program. They've won a national championship in the past two years or three years, I guess now, since we're entering 2022. So no one's going to be happy down there with seven wins. That's not what this segment's called. It's called what's reasonable. It is reasonable coming off of what they just came off of to expect seven wins. They were six and seven last year. So this would be record improvement, not record setting improvement, but record by definition improvement. I think they're going to find good enough quarterback play. That's where all the conversation is going to start. SEC media days is, actually it's in like one month from now. All the talk around Atlanta is going to be about, Brian, who's your quarterback going to be? And that's a great question. I'm just telling you, I, I'm fairly confident out of Brennan and Jaden Daniels and Garrett Nussmeyer, they will have a quarterback good enough to win. They may have more than one, but I think they will settle on one good enough to win for them. That's not what gives me the most optimism for potential early season success here. It's just part of it. Whispers about what to expect from John Emery at the running back position this year, that gives me a little confidence. Their offensive line should be in as good a shape as it's been in quite a while. That gives me confidence. In fact, both lines of scrimmage, they'll have one of the better defensive lines in the country this year. So unlike Texas, where we talked about a lot of variables there, uh, LSU along the lines of scrimmage, those aren't really areas that we're questioning. And if we fill in the blank of quarterback with B to B plus level play, which I think is reasonable, well, then all of a sudden we look at their schedule. They play Florida State to open the season in New Orleans. I'd argue that's a game that LSU should win. Tight point spread. But if I have those, those blanks filled in, that's a game they should win. Certainly they should then be 2-0 when Mississippi State comes to town. It's a game they should win. New Mexico, game they should win. I, it, there's a lot of should here because that's what segments about college football sound like in June. But if they are 4-0 when they get to that stretch, which gets really, really rough starting in October, then I've done all I can ask Brian Kelly to do, or I've gotten all I can ask from him out of the early stretch. That means that they have springboarded as hard as they possibly can. Springboard, the optimal term here, because they've got to, because eventually gravity is going to set in. And gravity is basically from October 1st on their schedule. Here it is. It's, it's tough. At Auburn, Tennessee. At Florida, Ole Miss. Alabama. At Arkansas. UAB is supposed to be the layup. Tell Bill Clark that. And then at Texas A&M, just for good measure, to end the season. There is no easy path the rest of the way. Even the UAB game, especially when you consider where it's thrown in there, there is no easy path. I'm also factoring in the possibility that there are some growing pains. In fact, I would call that an inevitability, not a, not a possibility. When you overturn the kind of culture they're overturning down there, when you go from Ed Orgeron's way of doing things to Brian Kelly's way of doing things, it's not possible to do that without having some internal growing pains. It's going to be good for you in the long run. It may mean seven and five in the short run. 
So I'm looking right now and I see that possible springboard in the early portion of the season. I see a possible brick wall in the second portion of the season. I think seven and five is reasonable. And all the while, as you usually have with first year staffs, you've got one eye on the season and then you got another eye on the recruiting class. And that'll be LSU in 2022. Uh, lastly here, let's go with Notre Dame. You know, Notre Dame had one regular season loss last year. That was to Cincinnati, by the way. And they were 11-2 overall. They lost the bowl game, uh, gave up a second-half storm from behind against Oklahoma State. And now it's Marcus Freeman's show in South Bend. What's reasonable to expect here? The over-under in Vegas is 9, and that's where I am. I think it's reasonable to expect 9 and 3. Line of scrimmage is an edge they're going to have in most games. What they inherit up there is built very well from the inside. You know, they're trying to build from the inside out. And fortunately, that inside portion of the team, offensive line, defensive line, it's already pretty well stocked. Tight end as well, pretty well stocked. Probably get the best one in the country, if not, if not one of the very best in the country, and Michael Mayer. But then when you start to get further away from the ball at the wide receiver position, the difference makers probably are not there. And for that matter, I know that there's optimism about Tyler Buckner at quarterback. It's not a proven commodity by any stretch of the imagination, which is a phrase I'm trying to eradicate from the show this year because I said it like 400 million times last year. But anyway, here's another phrase I'm trying to get rid of. I say all that to say this. They're going to be in a lot of close games this year. And that's not even including games like at Ohio State week one or maybe even Clemson later in the year. If you're having trouble you know, getting above that 24-point threshold, if you're having to play every game like a rock fight, it, it probably spells success against these teams you can out-physical. And there are a lot of them on their schedule. But the reason I'm going 9-3 and three and then no better is because young quarterback, tight end-centric passing game, and then knowing I've got Ohio State and Clemson on the schedule, I've got to account for a couple of losses there, or, or at least be reasonable and account for a couple of losses. And then after that, I got to go to Vegas to face Brigham Young. That's a really good passing attack and a mobile quarterback and a unique quarterback in uh, Jaron Hall. I've got to face uh, North Carolina on the road. I've got a late season visit from Boston College before I go to USC. I have no clue what Lincoln Riley's team is going to be by then. That may be a game I need 30 or 35 in. Can I get there? Nine and three, all things considered. Also, first year head coach there in Marcus Freeman. All things considered, I think nine and three is reasonable. So, to recap, we're keeping our own internal records because this is a segment, obviously, that's either going to make us look really good or really bad come December. Florida, eight and four, reasonable. Texas, nine and three. Nebraska, seven and five. LSU, seven and five. And Notre Dame, nine and three. Those are not official predictions. That'll be in August, but those we believe are reasonable predictions. This past week, I think we had a critical shift in the ratio of feedback I get from viewers. Normally, I get a lot of you talking about academy sports and outdoors, but normally a majority of the feedback I get, whether it be DM or email or talking to guys at the gym here downtown or on the softball field, wherever I am, normally it's disproportionately tilted to football. This week, I don't know what it was, I got more feedback about academy than I did the show. So if you're new around here, Academy Sports and Outdoors is our exclusive partner. And we get all kind of feedback. And we have something on this show that's pretty unique. I think we can all agree with that. There's, there's a closeness. There's a very, very community feel or a communal feel to the show uh, to where, to put it in simpler terms, we're just kind of more open with each other. And if you want to know what I mean, 
Let me read you a little DM I got, and I got permission to share this, believe it or not. This is not even the first vasectomy story we have told on this show, okay? There's the tease. Here's the DM. Uh, this is from someone who will remain anonymous for obvious reasons. Love the show, even though I want more Notre Dame content. I've got an academy story to share. I had a vasectomy performed yesterday. Yep. Ouch. I needed some support for about a week. So instead of driving to the closest sporting goods store, I went the extra 10 minutes to Academy to be a good friend of the show. Yes, I prolonged pain in honor of Pate State. Also, I've included a picture and a receipt to prove how brave I am. And by the way, I wore Notre Dame gear when getting the boys cut, literally on Tennessee's campus, just one week after my guys crushed their baseball souls. Go Irish, go Pate State, and if you're watching, there's the proof. We got the Notre Dame sneaks, we got the Irish hat, and there is the aforementioned support for the boys. Rest in peace to both of them. Um, yeah, that's, the, that's what my inbox looks like. When I tell you sometimes it's very interesting in there and it's far more interesting than the show itself, this is not rare, this is not at all uncommon, I get plenty of medical stories. I get all kinds of different stories. There are, there are myriad reasons with which you guys find ways or reasons to go to Academy. Uh, this is just one of them. So if you need some support, yeah, they got you covered there. If you need a grill, they got you covered. Crab traps, baseball bat, basketball hoop, whatever you need. Academy Sports and Outdoors has you covered. And you know what? If you want late kick free of charge, as you can clearly see, it is. Why? Because Academy even then has you covered. I was just gonna do a standard ad read tonight that said, you can't spell Academy without dad in honor of Father's Day. But as usual, the vasectomy won. So thank you to Academy and, uh, and good luck in the speedy recovery to our boy here. Producer Jesse's hamstring injury takes a back seat in terms of uh, medical stories tonight. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Uh, let's continue with bold predictions. Also, keep in mind, we've got our Late Kick Tour schedule draft coming up in just a few minutes, and I'm already nervous, maybe even looking ahead to it. So let's hope this segment doesn't go off the rails. Bold predictions, X8. Bold predictions, chapter 18. That's how deep we've gotten. This is going to be another thing that's very fun to look at come December. These are the things that you have predicted, and you claim you would bet your own hard-earned money on, and we have got a number of nines on the board tonight. I'm going to rate it on a boldness scale, 1 to 10. Let's start. Georgia and Bama. Brett said neither one of them are going to make the college football playoff. Uh, Brett, that's bold. That's not going to happen, brother. One of them's going to be there. So this is a 9.3 on the boldness scale for me. Brett, here's what I wish you would have done, but I know they don't give you enough characters on Twitter to do it. How do you see this happening? Because from my vantage point, there are only a few things that can happen. Either they both just implode and miss the SEC championship game entirely, which probably means they each have two losses. Good luck finding those. Or one of them falls by the wayside, 
but the other one makes it to the SEC championship game, maybe with one loss already, and then they just get upset in the SEC championship game. So here's what that would look like. Uh, Bama just loses two games somehow. They lose to A&M and Arkansas. They're out of it. A&M goes to Atlanta, and Georgia is there waiting for them, and Georgia's got one loss. And let's say A&M beats Georgia. So we got Bama two losses. They're out of it. Georgia now a second loss in the conference title game. They're out of it. Maybe that could happen. We're just talking percentages here. It's unlikely. Uh, There are plenty of routes for one of them to miss. But Brett said both of them, Bama and Georgia, are going to miss out on the college football playoff. And the fact of the matter is, if one of them does end up missing out, there's a, a vastly greater chance that the other one was the reason that that one missed out. The only time, by the way, since the college football playoffs inception that neither of these teams has been in the college football playoff itself, can you remember the year? 2019. That was the year that Joe Burrow and LSU just decided to wrap their hand around the throat of the sport and not let go until uh, Clemson was the last breath down in New Orleans. We were there for that one. So I'm going to call that one very bold, like 9.3 level bold. Next up, now we're going to get in the weeds a little bit here. Pay attention to this name. You don't know him yet. You will know him. Cole said Isaiah Nayer will become the number one receiver at Texas. And then he didn't stop. He just put a comma. He said he's going to win the Bolitnikoff with over 1,300 receiving yards and 10 plus touchdowns. These are not my predictions. They're yours. This is where I strongly would prefer you guys to just say one thing and then put the period. Because if you were to tell me Isaiah Nayer is just going to be Texas's best receiver this year, we could have some fun with that, and I wouldn't even call it all that bold. But then you throw Bolitnikoff in there, 1,300-plus yards. It's not impossible, obviously. In fact, if you are the leading receiver at Texas, you very well may be in that conversation. It just makes it a lot bolder. So I'm going to call this one a 7. It maybe should have gone a little bolder than that, given the follow-up addendums there. Who is Isaiah Nayer, you may ask? Where did he play his college football last year? Did Texas recruit him? Is he a true freshman? No, he is not. He is a junior Coming to Austin by way of Laramie, Wyoming. Ah, that old pipeline. The Laramie to Austin pipeline. Sounds like an old show on Cinemax circa 2004. But no, this is a wide receiver that stands 6'3", 210, 215. He's big, big-bodied receiver, but he can move. And he is being paired now with the likes of Xavier Worthy, Jordan Whittington and company. Going to have, in all likelihood, Quinn Ewers throwing him the ball. Bijan Robinson in the backfield, so you can't just key on the pass game. He is good. You saw him already in spring, so he's a semi-known commodity around there already. They were very excited when they got him internally. I know he didn't draw national headline buzz coast to coast. Isaiah Nair is going to be an integral part of Texas passing game. Now, that wasn't the prediction. The prediction was he's going to be their best. And I'm just telling you I've got a supreme amount of respect for Xavier Worthy as any player in the country. So Xavier Worthy is, is a primetime player. If we had Dick Vitale in here, that's how, he'd, that's how he'd refer to Xavier Worthy. Worthy was a true freshman last year. Xavier Worthy is like 165 pounds, okay? So he steps into college football at a size that many of you would call under and just takes over the Oklahoma game. If you were watching that game and you remember that one receiver that went off for Texas, it was worthy. I'm not telling you Isaiah Nair doesn't possess this capability. I'm just saying to come in and outshine Xavier Worthy, who is one of the most proven of all commodities on that offense next to B. John Robinson, it's a tall task. 
So then we're talking about winning the Blitnikoff. It, it's, it's a stretch because you can't singularly predict anyone with confidence to do that. But I've got a lot of confidence. That's why this is only a seven. I've got confidence in Isaiah Nair. I believe in him. I think he's going to be a dynamite addition to that offense. Next up, we got another individual to talk about. Producer Jesse differed with me greatly on this one. Dwight said Nick Singleton will be 2022's Travion Henderson. He's going to rush for 1,000-plus yards. He, he wrote 100. He means 1,000. 1,000-plus yards and 10-plus touchdowns this season. Those of you who don't follow recruiting, you don't know who Nick Singleton is. You should. He ran for about half a mile. I don't know, maybe closer to a mile. I could do the math here. He ran for 6,300 yards in high school. He was a five-star running back, number one running back in the country, six foot, about 210 pounds. Travion Henderson, as you know, burst on the scene at Ohio State last year. By comparison, Travion Henderson two cycles ago, five-star running back, number one running back in the country. He was about 5'11", 195, coming out of uh, high school. What did Travion Henderson do last year? To, to be clear what the prediction is, the prediction here is at Penn State this year, Nick Singleton will roughly match what Travion Henderson did. Paper pop time, Travion Henderson, 183 carries, over 1,200 yards, about 6.8 per carry. He had 15 touchdowns on the ground. Because he wasn't done just for good measure, he added 312 through the air and another four receiving touchdowns. Travion Henderson, for all we know, could be the best running back in the country. And I, I understand Bijan Robinson exists. I know Jameer Gibbs at Alabama exists. Zach Evans, I think, is going to have a huge year at Ole Miss. This cat right here is as good as any of them, talent-wise. He is only a sophomore, but talent-wise, Travion Henderson is kind of a different person. He borders on the uh, alien category. When you see some of these guys and they don't really look like they came from the same planet you did, uh, they certainly don't play like it. He's one of them. Well, Nick Singleton's like that too. Nick Singleton, a lot of people, you know who they compare him to in State College? Saquon Barkley. And how responsible is that before kids play the game? Why not just go ahead and compare him to Saquon Barkley? If anyone's going to match that production and match that hype, it will be him. I remember when we were doing our signing day show down in Fort Lauderdale, and, you know, the rankings council's there. I, I got Wilt Fong there. I got Cooper Patena, Chris Singleton, uh, who, Blake Brockermeyer. They were all there. And there's some guys who, even if they have five stars next to their name, there's still a little trepidation in the voice when we're talking about how they will project and eventually develop and produce at the college level. When Nick Singleton's name came up, they had none of that trepidation. It's as slam dunk a prospect at his position as they saw in the class. There's just not much guesswork about his game. So Nicholas Singleton's going to come in. Now, there are backs in front of him right now, but the smart money around Penn State is kind of like with Travion Henderson last year. That depth chart will clear itself up. Singleton will clear it up for you, just like Travion Henderson kind of cleared things up at Ohio State last year. And it's not that you didn't have other quality backs. You just didn't have one like him. It's not that they don't have quality backs at Penn State. They don't have one like Nicholas Singleton. Will he split carries with Lee up there? Or, or will he be a RB1 by the time we get into September or October? We'll see. Uh, but unlike Travion Henderson last year, Nicholas Singleton's not walking into a situation where you've got All-American racehorse future first-round draft picks at wide receiver to the left and to the right and on the bench, quite literally. So he's going to have to shoulder a lot more of the load. They will key a lot more on the run game up there. Keep in mind, they struggled mightily to run the ball last year. Did not have a 100-yard rusher 
in a game at Penn State last year. So a lot of things have to change. I think it's a tougher task for him to do that this year than for Travion Henderson to do what he did last year. So I'm calling this an eight, but it's not because I don't believe in Nick Singleton. It's just because I know what Travion Henderson did last year is going to be really tough to duplicate anywhere, especially at a place where everyone already knows what's coming before the ball is snapped. Next up, oh, by the way, before I read Jacobs there, when we were going over Singleton's stats out earlier in the, uh, we'll just call it the bullpen out there, and producer Jesse told me he had 6,300 rush yards in high school. I said, whoa, man, that's, that's, isn't that close to a record? Pull, pull up Derrick Henry's rushing numbers. Henry had 12,124. That's the all-time high school record. So Nick Singleton runs for 6,300 yards, and it's just over half of what Derrick Henry had down at Uly. That, mm, they might as well have just played Sarah McLaughlin over the loudspeakers in the stadium when Derrick Henry did what he did to those children. Because Henry was already his size now as a senior in high school, and uh, the other kids were, were just that, high school kids in lower caliber ball in Florida. Sarah McLaughlin special is what we call that. Next up, uh, this one's bold too. So Jacob says no Big 12 team, no Big 10 team in the college football playoff. You just got a hard time selling me on this. This is a nine on the boldness scale. It's never happened in the history of the playoff. Both of these conferences at the same time have never missed out. Now, here's what you can do. You can sell me pretty easily on the Big 12 missing out on the playoff because we, we have a very limited pool of candidates with which to choose from. Oklahoma's the preseason favorite there, but even Oklahoma, in terms of national championship odds, the Sooners are plus 3,000 to win the national championship. So yeah, it's not out of the realm of possibility that this conference alone misses out on the playoff. After all, there are only four spots. But the Big Ten? For the Big Ten to be missing out on the playoff, which has only happened twice, just the Big Ten has only missed out on the playoff twice. You've got to have the Big Ten either totally devour itself and everyone has two losses and then you just you have a conference championship game where it's like the number 13 team in the country versus the number 10 team in the country and we just know neither one of them has anything more to play for in terms of postseason than that game, which is unlikely. Or another thing could happen. And that could be where, let's say... You have a one-loss team, maybe it's Ohio State, maybe it's Michigan, maybe it's Penn State, that gets upset in the Big Ten title game. How would that look? Well, let's say it's Ohio State. Let's say Ohio State's a one-loss team. They slip up in East Lansing or, or they slip up in State College or, or Michigan beats them, but they're in the Big Ten championship game. And then let's say, I, I, trust me, I know it's tough, but I'm going to have to sell you on a long shot here. Let's say Iowa or Wisconsin or, or Nebraska beats them, upsets them in the Big Ten Championship game. At that point, you don't have a candidate to send to the playoff. Yeah, that could happen. It, it very well could happen. What will happen? And what will happen is probably not that. So I'm going to call that a nine on the boldness scale. At least one of those conferences is in the college football playoff. And uh, while we're in the nine on the boldness scale, let's just go with what Jackson said. A healthy Casey Thompson, going to be a Heisman finalist, with his Heisman moment coming at Michigan in the big house. Yeah, so, ew, boy, this is a 9.1 on the boldness scale. We're showing you B-roll of Casey Thompson at Texas, but he's not playing at Texas this year. He transferred. Yes, 
our future Heisman Trophy winner, was not good enough to start for that team, so he has gone to Nebraska, and he's going to win a Heisman in Lincoln. This is preview magazine syndrome. That's what this is, pure and simple. We get to this time of the year, and there's this great abyss in the middle. The, the reasonable ground, it turns into like a great nothing, like in the never-ending story. There's just where everyone should be, nothing. And you got folks over here saying Nebraska's going 0-12, and you got folks over here saying Casey Thompson's going to win the Heisman. And that is, it's, it's just, that is the residue with which Preview Magazine season covers us in. Casey Thompson's not winning the Heisman. Casey Thompson and Nebraska can have a very good year this year. It would be nice to predict that, but then again, that probably would not have landed you in the bold prediction segment. This is just a land of extremes right now. It's okay to be realistic here. It's okay to say uh, this guy who was a 24-touchdown, nine-interception player last year, four rushing touchdowns too, he's going to go to Nebraska and he's going to be better than Adrian Martinez was for them. I believe that. I believe Nebraska is going to more than double their win total this year. I believe these things. But see, in doubling their win total, that just barely gets them to a bowl game. And so what do we have to have happen here? I mean, in a, in a world where Bryce Young is still playing college football and C.J. Stroud still playing college football, what in the world do I have to have Casey Thompson do to outshine those dudes? And what will Nebraska have to do as a team? Because that's part of this to outshine Alabama and Ohio State. I'm not guaranteeing you one of those guys is going to win, and I'm just telling you they got an infinitely greater shot at their own position than Casey Thompson. This has turned into a Casey Thompson bash fest, which I don't intend it to be. I am not bashing Casey Thompson. God bless that young man. I am bashing the prediction of him winning the Heisman. It's kind of like the whole Will Levis, number one overall draft pick stuff out there right now. And I, I use the term stuff only because I know some of you will have your children in the car tomorrow morning when you take them to school and you listen to the replay of the show. Uh, foolishness. That's just foolishness. So that's not going to happen. That's a 9.1 on the boldness scale. And probably safely could go higher than that. Uh, so, so in summary, well, we had a 9.3 tonight. We had a 7, an 8, a 9, and a 9.1. Uh, on average, this gets very close out of the 18 chapters of bold predictions so far to being the boldest of the bold. Whew, they're watching us in Barcelona, Spain. I would say this evening, but I think it's probably early morning there. Beaumont, Texas, I know they're watching us this evening. And Richmond, Virginia is tuned in. We should have brought a snare drum in the studio. This is as excited as I will be for any segment. And you know what? While I'm at it, let me say thank you guys for being tuned in. Got over a thousand of you watching live again. You know, they said that's not possible in June. When I first started doing this show, they asked, why would you do a year-round college football show? Um, well, that's why. Because contrary to popular belief, some of us really do buy into the idea that there is no off-season. We don't do that sort of thing around here. And so with that in mind, here we go. Crack the knuckles. Got one of them to crack. The Late Kick Tour, which we have not even named yet, is coming up this fall. We've got a great college football season in store, and we are going to start figuring out our schedule draft tonight. Now, if you're new around here, and tons of you are, what in the world am I talking about? Well, I am probably the most blessed person in the world because I get to spin the globe every week, put my index finger wherever I want to go, and then this company pays to fly me there, and I get to stand on the sideline and watch games. Uh, and I want to stress again, that is what I call a job. Yes, I am professionally employed to do such things. 
Uh, you're, if you're watching on YouTube, this is some of the footage. That's cell phone footage. That is iJosh footage from last year's tour. And we choose where we're going to go. Last year, we called it the Renaissance Tour because it was a Renaissance season. And you see some of the destinations that we made it to. Uh, that Iowa-Iowa State game in week two, first time I ever went to Ames. The next week, Auburn at Penn State, whiteout, first time I had ever been there. I went to OU Texas, Red River Shootout, my first ever experience there. I dodged minis and many other things at Knoxville the week after that with Ole Miss in Tennessee, just raining garbage down on me. Uh, we saw Michigan State upset Michigan. Later in the year, we saw Baylor storm the field against Oklahoma. I saw Michigan take down Ohio State. It's really incredible, isn't it, that there's a company out there that would pay someone to go experience that. I know, because before I did this professionally, I was you, and I paid every last dime I had, and some of the dimes my parents had, to go attend those games. So I know how blessed it is to live this lifestyle. Well, this fall, we're doing it again. We have not named the tour yet. Got a good idea of what it's going to be. We haven't named the tour yet, but we are going to start narrowing down our choices. Weeks one through six, we're going to do right here, right now. Uh, this is not final, but these are the leans that I have for where we're going. Let's start in week one. Week one is sort of the Labor Day week, so it's not just confined to one day. Uh, but as you know, I have a show on Sunday. So right off the bat, the Florida State LSU game is probably off the table. We've got Cincinnati at Arkansas. Cincinnati, this is the only time, obviously, that I will probably get to see a G5 team during the season because of what our criteria are. We want to see the biggest games, but we want to see competitive games in that order. Uh, we want to see as many teams and venues as possible, and we are in it for experience and memory. That's what we're trying to accumulate. When you're talking at the end of the day about that game, we want to be the folks who were at that game. We don't want to see blowouts. We want to see the biggest teams and the biggest moments, best environments. Cincy, Arkansas is going to be on fire. Fayetteville will be on fire. This is the highest expectation they've had for that team in several years. You're getting a playoff team coming in there in Cincinnati. When, when's, I'll answer you. We've never had an opportunity to see a G5 team coming off a playoff appearance. So you've got that one, but you've also got Utah at Florida the very same week. That's an ultra-rare cross-country out-of-conference game. We don't get many SEC Pac-12 out-of-conference games, period. And i got to start asking myself, how many opportunities will I have to see Utah? Florida. Florida may not be a contender this year. But if I can get them early in the season, it justifies a trip to the swamp. And so I don't know that I'll be able to get there again this year. Then you start to look at the marquee in Columbus, Ohio. You've got Notre Dame against Ohio State. Two massive brand names. So if you want to see big brands and you want to have an experience, man, they'll, they'll have that ticket stub or the digital version of it forever that they're showing off. I'll tell you what we're leaning here. And I know we got Oregon, Georgia this day, but that's a 17-point spread. Uh, we try and stay away from neutral site games because we believe in the on-campus environment. My lean, and it is an ever-so-slight lean right now, this is nowhere near finalized, is Utah against Florida. The thinking there, I just spelled out for you, and also keep in mind, when we've got Arkansas, Arkansas plays a ton of marquee games this year. So there are going to be other opportunities to get to Arkansas. And believe me, if you know the show and you know me, I will so help me see Arkansas play in Razorback Stadium this year, Reynolds Razorback Stadium. So the slight lean, very slight, is Utah at Florida week one. Subject to change. Write it in pencil. Week two, 
This one gets a little bit easier to figure out, but I want to show you the slate anyway. Alabama goes to Texas. Uh, that is a slam dunk leader in the clubhouse right now. But just for fun, you got South Carolina at Arkansas. Again, ditto, same point. We got, we got some opportunities down the road for Arkansas. Tennessee is at Pitt. That is the 2021 ACC champ, Pitt. And that's a team that went into Neyland and beat Tennessee last year. First big game for Tennessee this year. They got Pitt and they got Florida in the first month of the season. That one's tasty. I just saw Iowa State, Iowa last year. There's another opportunity in a couple of weeks with Iowa that I'll talk about in a second. Uh, Kentucky's at Florida. Baylor at Brigham Young is a sleeper game there. But none of those are topping Alabama at Texas. So out of all the weeks, probably the one I'm most confident in leaning towards is Alabama at Texas in week two. And if that wasn't enough, has anyone seen what kickoff time is there? Noon Eastern, big noon kickoff headed into Austin. Forecast high, maybe 107, 108. It's whatever. At that point, hot is hot is hot. Uh, but also a flight home that night is a flight home that night. So Texas hosting Alabama week two, pretty solid lean there. Week three is not nearly as clear a picture. So here we go. This is where I really start needing your help. It's going to get even muddier than this in week four and week five. I'm telling you, I don't suffer anxiety. This gives me anxiety because I know I can only be in one place and I don't want to be the guy who's watching the TV screen in the press box or on the plane on the way home saying, I could have been at this game instead and I'm not. It happened last year. Don't want to let it happen again this year. So week three, Oklahoma at Nebraska is a game I badly want to be able to go to. Nebraska's got to hold up their end of the bargain. We already spelled that out earlier on the show. This would be a, a phenomenal atmosphere and environment in a venue I've never been to. I've never been to Lincoln, never been to a game at Nebraska. So you got that one. But this is an out-of-conference bonanza on this week three slate. Penn State is at Auburn. Both of those teams could be undefeated still. Brigham Young is at Oregon. That's a huge game. That's one of Oregon's toughest tests of the year. It gets better. Miami is at Texas A&M. That is a single-digit point spread right now. And for all we know, Miami may have the quarterback edge in that game. Georgia is at South Carolina. I know that may not pop off the screen to you, but that's one of Georgia's toughest road tests all year. And how about that, that game at the bottom there? Michigan State at Washington. A little cross-country action. Where would you go if you, were, if you were calling the shots here? I think it's pretty well listed in order. Oh, Oklahoma at Nebraska has my eye. So that's my lean right now, OU at Nebraska. But boy, that Penn State at Auburn game, especially considering I saw that one last year in Happy Valley, and that one delivered. There is virtually no shot that's a blowout game. So if you care about seeing close games, man, Penn State-Auburn could play 10 times out of 10. Average margin of victory would be a field goal. I can virtually guarantee that. That's like back in the day when the Titans or Jaguars or Steelers would play each other in the AFC playoffs. I would always love to do two-team seven-point teasers with my local bookie back in Georgia because it was like the easiest NFL bet ever because the margin of victory was always going to be a field goal either way. So my lean, and it's a slight lean again, my lean on this week is Oklahoma at Nebraska. But as you can see, clearly, all that is contingent on teams taking care of business because one upset could throw this entire thing into a blender. And if you want an example of what that looks like, follow me to week four 
because this is where it just goes completely haywire. We spent a solid hour debating with and yelling at each other out in the bullpen, talking about where we should go and, and what strategy should be involved here. So here's the lineup in week four. This is a very big week. We got Arkansas versus A&M. That game's in Dallas. We went to that game last year. I always love getting to Arlington early because that's one of the only venues in America big enough where they can drive the buses down into the stadium and around the corridor and they just drive a bus right up to your locker room. That's always fun. You don't get to see that on TV, so I won't waste your time. Florida is at Tennessee on this Saturday. Pause for a second. Think about what we're talking about. If Florida beats Utah in week one, and uh, Kentucky, I think, is also another team they will have had to have beaten there. And Tennessee has beaten Pitt. All of a sudden, we're sitting here in week four, and we've got undefeated Florida against undefeated Tennessee in Neyland Stadium. Now, right this second, none of you nationally, outside those fan bases, are looking forward to that game. But you know how college football treats us. And all of a sudden, that game in week four is just... Everyone's got to see it. You're plan all of a sudden you're planning your Saturday around when that game comes on TV. Baylor at Iowa State is a very sneaky game. It's not on your radar right now, but Baylor has already played Brigham Young by this point. Iowa State has already played Iowa. If they win those games, all of a sudden that becomes a game that's popped up on the radar. Notre Dame's at North Carolina that day. Wisconsin is at Ohio State. That's one of Ohio State's toughest regular season tests. If Wisconsin were to get that win, imagine what that does in the West standings. And imagine what that does for Ohio State leaving zero margin for error. But look at the very bottom game. This looks like a throwaway. Clemson at Wake Forest. But it's not a throwaway. This is going to be a 10-point or maybe even single-digit point spread. It's one of Clemson's most pivotal games this year. It's a game where it's going to be imperative they can score uh, because that's a team in Wake that can score on you. And here's where strategy gets involved. If we go with Clemson Wake Forest in this week, then the next week, we've got to think ahead. Ooh, NC State Clemson is the next week. So do we want to see Clemson two weeks in a row? That wouldn't be sticking to our criteria of seeing as many teams as possible. But then again, if we go with Florida and Tennessee on this day, and we know good and well that we've got Bama, Tennessee down the road, then how do we juggle that? So you see how quickly you get like 10 different irons in the fire. And also, by the way, we're just leaving Arkansas A&M on the table because we're, we're trying to balance how many times we see Arkansas. But then again, we have never seen them in person in, in a home environment before, even though that's a neutral site game. So this is just a bunch of word salad, but this is why it gives me a little bit of anxiety trying to figure out where we're going to go. Where would you go here? Which game would you go to factoring everything in? You know what I actually think is, man, I, I already gave the guys the answer. So my lean was Clemson Wake Forest. That's my lean. I could so, so easily just call an audible right here and infuriate everyone in the control room and make it Florida, Tennessee, because there's such an equal argument to be made for Florida, Tennessee. But for the sake of continuity, let me make it Clemson Wake Forest. We've never been to a game at Wake Forest. It's, it's also trying to figure out, am I going to get to see Clemson in the regular season? Because there are far fewer opportunities to do that because they play in less marquee games than Florida and Tennessee. So let's put Clemson-Wake Forest as the tentative week four lean. Then we go to week five. It gets no easier, friends. No easier. Alabama plays at Arkansas this day. 
you think that's the one, right? That if we didn't go to Cincy, Arkansas in week one, then this is the one. Okay, hold that thought. We've also got Michigan at Iowa in this week as well. Now, you may think to yourself, why would Michigan, Iowa be in the picture here? Keep in mind, this is not week one. This is week five. Think ahead. Think what could have happened. Michigan has not played anyone. This is really their first test, and it's their first road test too. I got Michigan, my Big Ten champ from last year. We're going to find out how wobbly or secured the parts on this team are. And I've got Iowa. Iowa's played Iowa State already. If, if they've won the game, do you know what you see here? What you see here is Michigan going into Kinnick Stadium to face an undefeated Hawkeye team, possibly, both of them being undefeated. I've got an undefeated against an undefeated in the Big Ten in week five. I don't know that I'll be able to get to Iowa again this year. So think about the criteria. Think about the dominoes we're trying to knock down. So all of a sudden, even in this week, Alabama at Arkansas does not become a slam dunk. And I've got NC State at Clemson as well. That, I think, is probably the biggest game in the ACC this year. So where's the lean? Where, where, where do you lean here? You, you don't have any other opportunity to see Kinnick Stadium this year, in all likelihood. But yet you got the biggest game over there in the ACC possibly all year. But then I got Bama going to Arkansas, and that will be every bit as lit up an atmosphere as Texas at Arkansas was last year. Here's the lean. I might as well hold my nose while I do it. While I do it. Just say Bama at Arkansas is the lean right now. And just know there is no smart money on this. When we get this far out, I mean, we're trying to predict who's undefeated and there's already been a month's worth of games. Let's just take our, our very, very, very light pencil and let's write Alabama at Arkansas. That's the lean right now. And we will revise this like a hundred times. And why not? Let's just go further out into the abyss because this is the big week. I'm going to stop it at week six. Week six is the biggest week in college football, at least as it appears right now. Uh, there, there are like 50 million big games this day. Ohio State is at Michigan State. Uh, Utah is at UCLA, a very sneaky good game on the West Coast. This is Red River Shootout Day, Texas versus OU. This is Texas A&M at Alabama, Jimbo versus Saban. This is Tennessee, and it's heavily dependent on what the record for the balls is, on the road at LSU. There is a path, folks, a path where you've all of a sudden, out of nowhere, got these co-main events in the SEC where you've got Bama hosting A&M at night. Headlines write themselves there. But what if Tennessee is undefeated? If Tennessee's undefeated here, it means they've beaten Pitt and Florida already. And then they go to Death Valley the week before Tennessee's going to play Bama? All of a sudden, that's a game in any other week that would be a slam dunk. I'm going to that one. Notre Dame is in Las Vegas to play Brigham Young on this day. Brigham Young's got one of the most intriguing schedules this year in the country. North Carolina's at Miami, sneaky good ACC game. Obviously, the tentative pick here is Texas A&M at Alabama. That's the tentative pick. But you know what? On this same weekend last year, if we were sitting in June, Alabama at Texas A&M was the slam dunk game. But by the time the game came around, A&M had already lost multiple games. I didn't go. Famously at this point, I think it's a famous story on this show, I went to the Red River Shootout. I have no regrets about that. That was a classic game. Highest scoring game in that series history. That wasn't the problem. The problem was I was credentialed for this game too. And I was already in Texas. And one game started at noon and the other game started at 8 p.m. And I was already at the airport. I had time to get down there and I didn't. 
I flew home and watched A&M upset Alabama on a flight somewhere over Arkansas. <sighs> so anyway, it's not always as obvious come game week as it seems like it will be in June. So yes, A&M Bama seems like the logical choice now, but this sport can do funny things to you. So let's just, let, let's very tentatively, but solidly right now, lean Texas A&M and Alabama. So here are the weeks one through six leans. And boy, I cannot stress enough, this is not final. Utah at Florida week one. Bama at Texas week two. OU at Nebraska week three. Clemson at Wake Forest. Still shocking to see that there at week four. Bama at Arkansas week five. A&M at Bama week six. Obviously, Bama's in there three times. I, I can pretty reasonably tell you we're not going to go to three Alabama games in the first six weeks of the season. So already, even though I haven't even finished the segment yet, I'm pretty sure that's going to change. In fact, I'm confident that's going to change. Bear with us. If you thought that was jumbled, wait till you hear us try and predict the second half of the season. Because then it just it becomes a knife fight, even in my own head. And um, you guys, it's kind of like witnessing a, a real-life mental breakdown. All right, we got two questions here, and then i got to get out of here. Uh, and, and the first one kind of deals with a couple of teams we just talked about. Brian asked, the SEC is the top conference. Some players have chosen the SEC over Oklahoma and Texas. Do you think OU and Texas recruiting will step up by joining the SEC? In short, yes, Brian, I do believe that. And so do they. You talk to folks at Texas or Oklahoma, one of, one of many reasons, the first of which is money, but one of the other reasons why they wanted to join the SEC is because they know how real this is. Uh, to be clear, this is a real thing. I'll talk about it in just a second. Like SEC edge in recruiting is a real thing. But before I spell that out, since Brian was asking about how they may improve in recruiting, I thought it was only rational to have Stats and Info, aka a hobbled producer Jesse, find out what the average recruiting ranking has been over the past decade for Texas and OU. But before I tell you what it is, what do you think it is? There's a perception out there uh, that I think is about to get shot to pieces. You think to yourself, most of you, if, if I've heard you right, you think Texas has recruited at a very high level, they've just underachieved, right? And Oklahoma, meanwhile, hasn't recruited as good as Texas, but they've overachieved. Over the last decade, how about this? The average recruiting ranking for Texas is 11th in the country. Over the last decade, the average recruiting ranking for Oklahoma is 11th in the country. They've been dead even. Both of them, an average finish of 11th. So how about that perception versus reality? Anyway, the argument here from Brian, or the question, and, and I'm going to make an argument he's right, is they will come to the SEC and they will both see a boost in recruiting. Does this matter? It matters. It really matters. If you don't follow recruiting, you probably aren't aware of how much this matters. For instance, when Texas A&M came to the SEC, their folks immediately realized being able to go into the living rooms there, whether it's in Louisiana or East Texas, wherever. Jimbo goes wherever he wants to now. I think he recruits Alaska. But when you go in those living rooms and you tell kids, you are going to go into 100,000 seat cathedrals and you're going you're to compete against guys that you're eventually going to compete against on Sunday, there is no league better equipped to get you ready for the Sunday game. And you're going to play the highest level competition the sport has to offer. It mattered. Texas A&M recruiting improved. But it's not just because recruiting itself improved. Texas A&M, as a university, not that they needed it, 
But as a program, as well in the football side of things, they reaped the benefits financially of being in the SEC. And when you get paid a whole lot more money per year, just because of which conference's helmet sticker you have on your head, then you can invest more of that year over year into football and you can upgrade your infrastructure. And so it's no, it's no coincidence when you go on these campuses in the SEC, they look like they do. And it's no different in College Station. Now, like I said, they didn't need the financial help. But when they paired their, their limitless resources with that SEC rub, that's really all they needed. They just needed the rub. They were off to the races. And Texas A&M recruiting has been a lot better since they've been in the SEC. And I would argue the program has improved. Uh, they've got Jimbo Fisher there now. You see what they're doing now. Everyone knows what they're doing now. I can't promise you they'd be doing that if they weren't in the SEC. But the other thing about that is, think about the pitch. The pitch I just gave you is the same pitch that Kirby Smart uses, uh, that Brian Kelly will use now, that Jimbo uses. When you go into the living rooms and you tell kids you're going to compete against the best in the country, it does one of two things. And either way, it works in your favor. It either appeals to kids because they are competitors in and of themselves, or it scares kids away a little bit. I'm not saying this is the only thing that matters in recruiting. I'm not saying kids that don't play in the SEC aren't competitors. I'm saying it matters. It's a factor. And, and coaches who have been on SEC staffs and then they've gone elsewhere, they will tell you, this matters. Now, if I'm good enough, if I'm a good enough recruiter, I can overcome it and I can get you to come to Michigan or Penn State anyway, but I'm fighting against it. It matters. Here's what else it does. It's a natural filtration process. Because of the kind of mental fortitude that you need to have to willingly go play in the SEC, those kids tend to pan out. They're, they're talented, that's why they got the offer, but then if they accept the challenge, it means, by and large, they're wired a certain way. They'll be busts, just like there are anywhere else in the country, but it's, uh, it's kind of a self-fulfilling prophecy. And Texas and Oklahoma will benefit from that. Now, how much will they benefit from that? That's the question. That has a lot to do with leadership. That has a lot to do with how Brent Venables will do at Oklahoma, and Steve Sarkeesian will continue to do at Texas, but ironically, even though it feels like Oklahoma's the more solid program right now, my questions, my list of questions is a little more lengthy when it comes to Oklahoma. Because I know what the blueprint is for Texas. Their blueprint is just recruit the state of Texas. It's that easy. Whether they follow, whether they follow through on it or not, it's a different question, but it's that easy in, in principle. And they had a top five class this past cycle, so they're off to a good start there. With Oklahoma, it's a very interesting time we're coming up on. We've got a new staff out there. We've got Texas A&M and Texas, both with mega recruiting staffs in the NIL era. So they're able to leverage resource like they've never been able to leverage it before. I think that's the kindest way to describe what's happening right now. Leverage resource. Oklahoma has to recruit Texas to win. Will they still be able to at as effective a rate? They need to recruit California to win, or at least they have in the past. The guy who was doing it for them went out to USC. What kind of talent are they getting from the West Coast now and moving forward? What kind of talent are they getting from Florida now and moving forward? It's not that I'm speaking in a doubtful tone about Brent Venables. It's quite literally curiosity. I'm very curious as to how good they'll be over the next three or four recruiting cycles. But yes, either way, yes, they will have a net benefit from being in the SEC. All right, last question here. This is, uh, this is what I started the show with. I want you guys to pay attention to this. Appreciate you guys being tuned in live, by the way. Here's the question. This, as you can tell with the, with the sigh, got some things to say on this. 
Ted asked, are you ready to acknowledge Mel Tucker has bypassed Jim Harbaugh and we're about to own Michigan in recruiting as well as on the field? Ted, I appreciate the enthusiasm. Where are we right now? In the state of Michigan, Spartans, Wolverines, where are we? What is the dynamic right now? Well, you probably remember last year Michigan State beat Michigan. What you may not remember is the year before they did as well. There's this weird thing. I suffer from it too, where you only remember Mel Tucker being 1-0 against Harbaugh. He's 2-0 against him. The year before, I guess people's attention was kind of fractured. Maybe it wasn't totally on college football. Mel Tucker's 2-0 against Jim Harbaugh right now. And it's, it's impossible to deny the current energy around the Spartan program. Now, have they overtaken Michigan? Has Mel Tucker overtaken Jim Harbaugh? No, it's too early to say that. Of course, it's too early to say that. Uh, for instance, right now, and this doesn't mean a whole lot because of what the calendar says, right now, yeah, Michigan State, 11th ranked recruiting class in the country. They're coming off a really big week. Michigan, conversely, 35th in the country. A lot of their momentum, they believe, is still in the future. They still believe they, they've got a majority of this class to come, and they eventually will come. But let's not forget now, just this past cycle, Michigan finished top 10, and Michigan State was in the mid-20s. So it's not like we have a definitive picture of what's happening here. But as I say that now, what does it feel like? It feels like this should be the point, coming off a Big Ten championship and coming off a playoff appearance, where Michigan should be rolling in recruiting. And they're not. Uh, the temperature around recruiting around Michigan has been, I guess, best described as lukewarm. Now, here's what they would tell you. Some, not they in totality, some people around Michigan would tell you, brother, it is June 19th. Have some patience. Uh, Alabama's ranked in the 40s right now in recruiting. So it's not where you are in June. It's where you end up. That's valid. You don't have to tell me that. I've been around this thing for quite a while. I get that. I know Alabama's going to finish top five. I don't know Michigan is going to have a run down the stretch like they should have. Uh, to be clear again, they're coming off doing some things we have never seen them do. I mean, people like me have watched Michigan recruit pretty well and always thought to myself, as soon as they knock off Ohio State, and especially if they win the Big Ten and they go to playoff in the process, that next recruiting cycle will be on fire. Well, it just hasn't been. Why hasn't it been? I think it'd be foolish to pretend like Harbaugh's flirtation with the NFL isn't a factor here. Now, how good are they going to be on the field this fall? is a totally different question than, is this affecting recruiting? Because Jim Harbaugh, if he's checked back in, which I have every reason to believe he is, and if they're all in singular focus, which I have every reason to believe they are, they'll be fine on the field this fall. But that's not what we're talking about here. We're talking about recruiting. And namely, why has it been so average so far to start this cycle? The reason is because it matters. It, it, you, you can sell yourself all you want to on the feel-good, cozy, or oh, Hallbar's ours now and he's not going anywhere. Maybe he won't. Uh, but it's impossible to erase from people's memories. He tried to get out. And the only reason he couldn't get out is because that team in Minnesota, being the Vikings, didn't want him. So if I'm a recruit and I see that, then I'm not stupid. I know what I saw. But then it doesn't help when I've got other staffs coming in my living room and reminding me of it. That matters. It'd be foolish to think it doesn't matter. The only question is, how much will it matter in this cycle? And I don't think you can know that right now. You won't know until after signing day. Michigan will finish wherever they finished. And if they finish top 10, we'll know it's a non-factor. But if they finish 23rd, 
you'll start to get some intel and Sam Webb will be over on the Michigan Insider and he'll be giving you scoop on the class and how it did and didn't come together. And you'll start to get quotes from players. And slowly but surely, you'll hear them say in that scenario, I just had some uneasiness about the future of the program. So it'll matter. I just don't know how much it'll matter. But here's the thing. Normally, this conversation would be happening in a vacuum. And Michigan State would just be Michigan State. Michigan State's not just Michigan State anymore. The smoke there is real. There is no illusion to this. They're not going anywhere. Uh, and folks in the Big Ten are kind of halfway aggravated about it because they've already gotten used to the idea Ohio State's going to own us in recruiting. And Penn State's going to be pretty good. And Michigan's going to be pretty good to really good. I, if I'm in the Big Ten, have no interest in adding Michigan State to that equation. But they're there. And next to Ohio State... There is no more tenacious recruiting operation happening in the Big Ten right now than in East Lansing, Michigan. Uh, they're getting after it. And when Mel Tucker came in there, he told you what he was going to do. When Mel Tucker got to Michigan State, he said, we're going to recruit nationally. We have to recruit nationally. If we want to get where we want to go, we can't be a regional recruiter. We've got to be a national recruiter because we got a national vision. And a lot of people laughed at him. Why? Because he was selling you on the fact that he was going to do something we've never seen Michigan State do. When you go up there, you go to games. I was, I was texting back and forth with a guy who played there in the 60s when I was at the Michigan game. And I'm looking at those banners and those national championships they won in a very bygone era. If you're my age or if you're younger than me, uh, since then, though, the sport has evolved. And a lot of folks thought it had left Michigan State behind. It hadn't. Like I say with Tennessee all the time, and like I'm saying with Michigan State right now, like, I, like you can say about Dabo at Clemson, there is a world at many programs out there where they can be a national championship contender. Now, the formula is different depending on where your pinpoint on the map is. You have to get the right confluence of events. Mel Tucker at Michigan State at just the right time, it was the right confluence of events. And unlike some other places where it's, it's kind of, lightning in a bottle, and then he's off to a bigger program, Mel Tucker already had his deal virtually finalized by the time LSU would have ever come calling, and Mel Tucker's getting paid astronomical amounts of money. Here's the other good part. I think it was Rittenberg at ESPN that had a really good feature about Michigan State this past week. Michigan State has the good fortune that some of the biggest money around the program is held by former athletes. You know what that means? It means you don't have someone who's made a fortune in things that have nothing to do with sports whatsoever, all of a sudden throwing money around and wanting their say, even though they, have the, they haven't the slightest clue how things operate. When your own athletes are the ones going out there and getting rich and therefore able to write a check, they know real when they see it. Former players, current players, folks who know ball, they know real when they talk to it. And you don't have to be around Mel Tucker too long to know he's about as real as it gets. And that stuff happening at Michigan State right now. It's about as real as it gets. And I would not be surprised if they end up putting up a number in recruiting rankings this year that rubs a lot of people up there the wrong way, makes a lot of people uneasy, and it probably puts a little more heat on Michigan than previously would have been there. Now, they don't need a rival at Michigan. They've already got Ohio State doing what Ohio State's been doing. But now, whereas they've already come to accept that Ohio State's going to be a power, if that Spartan logo all of a sudden starts putting up a bigger number than they do. Oh, and they extend a 3-0 or 4-0 on them. No, that's not something that's going to be tolerated in Ann Arbor, nor should it be.
So this is going to be something to watch if you're a fan of UTSA, if you're a roadrunner, but you want some national storyline to watch, watch Michigan, Michigan State off the field in recruiting and just on the field this fall because we get to see them play every single year. I don't know what the over-under was for the show tonight, but I'm telling you right now, we've gone 75 minutes and I've got to drive home tonight. So it's probably in my best interest to stop talking right now. Go take a Lotions or two. Wish you guys again on the back end a happy Father's Day. We are approaching 99,000 subs on this YouTube channel. We are almost there. Get us there. I ask you and humbly beg of you, YouTube channel and subscribing to the podcast feeds. Thank you guys so much. You're already doing it. So just continue to thank you. For producer Jesse, for director Colin, for our entire staff here, I'm Josh Pate. Have yourselves a great start to your week. Take care and God bless.